Hey, good morning and welcome to First. My name is Daniel and I'm our group's pastor here at the church. We are very grateful that you've joined us for the first week of Grinched, which is clear we're in that series by now. And for Baptism Sunday, we're going to celebrate some changed hearts because of Jesus this morning. We had a bunch of spontaneous baptisms today already too, which is really, really cool. More than the people who would even plan to be baptized. So what I want to say from the front end is maybe you came in here today Uh, thinking you were going to watch someone else celebrate their baptism, and God might just prompt you to make that decision today as well. But as we kind of dive into this whole idea of Grinched, I think that we kind of fall over the map when it comes to Christmas spirit, am I right? There are people who are super into the Christmas spirit, and then there are those of us who are the normal people, right? So uh, there are some of you who just like to celebrate all year round, but the Grinch, if you're totally out of the loop here, is this green, furry, human beast type dude who lives on the outskirts of a place called Whoville, where the Who's celebrate Christmas every single day. So a lot of you would fit in, I'm sure. But I feel like I fall somewhere in between a Grinch and a Who. But when I went to college, a lot of my dorm mates pushed me off over the edge into complete, unashamed Grinch mode. And so every year at this place where I went to school, Lincoln Christian University, There's a group of men who live on the A1 floor who celebrate what they call A1 Christmas. And it starts at 12.01 a.m. on November 1st. No matter what's going on in the dorm, they start running up and down the hallways obnoxiously loud as they can, caroling at the top of their lungs. So at Lincoln Christian University, there is A1, the Who's, and everyone else are Grinches at this point moving forward. And so they would do all kinds of crazy stuff. They would blast Christmas music for the rest of the semester out their public bathroom window, put inflatable Frosties up all over the place, and I'm still scarred to this day, I have to admit. But we can agree to disagree, right, of whether or not we're in the Christmas spirit or not. So I kind of just wanted to ask you, by audience participation, where you're at, if you're more of a Grinch or if you're more of a who. Can you work with me on this? So I'm going to throw out some kind of choices for you. If you think you're a Grinch, I just want you to cross your arms like this, okay? Can we practice here for a second? If you're a Grinch on this issue, okay? If you're a who, all I want you to do is I want you to point your nose up like this, like the who's, okay? It's kind of painful, but it's not going to last for very long, all right? So for starters, Question number one, is Hallmark and Lifetime movies a quality form of entertainment? Are you a who? Yes. Wow, it seems like a lot of the ladies, huh? Okay. And are you a Grinch? No, this is not a quality form of entertainment. Okay, I'm seeing a little bit of arms crossed. All right, so secondly, is Christmas music acceptable before Thanksgiving? Let me see the who's, okay? And then the others of us know you get Christmas Day and that's it. You're a Grinch. Okay, yes, you are all the normal people. There you go. All right, so do Christmas decorations go down on the 26th if you're a Grinch? Let me see, down on the 26th. Or on February 1st like you crazy who's? Yeah, that's right. That might just be pragmatics right there as far as that goes. And this is the final one. This doesn't really line up very well, but it's something I'm passionate about. Are you the goofy who's who make everyone drag out the Christmas cheer and open one present at a time in a big circle with your 45 family members? You are the who's, yes. There you go. Oh, let's all celebrate each other's gifts. Or are you a Grinch? Let's just open all these presents for crying out loud, right? That's right. Okay. 
So, again, we can agree to disagree on whether or not we're Grinches or who's, but if we're being honest, the truth is we carry around a little bit of Grinch tendencies in our hearts. And as the story goes, we know the Grinch's heart was two sizes too small. And if we did a heart check, if we were honest with ourselves, we would recognize our hearts aren't necessarily perfect at loving God and loving people the way that we're supposed to. We all carry around Grinch tendencies in our hearts. But the truth is, none of us want to be a Grinch. None of us want to be bitter towards other people and all closed off. And so here's the question that we're asking today. What can truly change a person's heart? Really, what is it that can truly change a person's heart? Now, I'm sure, like me, you've heard this bit of somewhat cliche advice that someone has certainly given you in life before. Oh, you know, just follow your heart. Anyone ever told you that before? And sure, we follow our hearts. That can lead to a lot of good things, right? I mean, we can find love if we're following our heart. We can find happiness. But following our heart, in the strictest sense, can lead to some pretty terrible things as well, right? I mean, yeah, he doesn't have a job and... You know, he's got a bit of a wondering eye, but he's really handsome. (laughs) I just need to follow my heart. Or for some of the rest of us, yeah, you know, I can't afford the car payment, and uh, I don't really have that viable of employment right now, but that car is fast, and it's my favorite color, and I've always wanted it. I just need to follow my heart on this one, right? You see that commercial? Or maybe a little bit more seriously, Sure, I've got a family and I've got kids and I've got people who I need to support. But it won't be that big of a deal if I just flirt with this person on Facebook a little bit. No one else needs to know. It's just me. I just need to follow my heart on this one. Whether it's money and wealth, whether it's stuff, the approval of others, status, the relationship we always wanted, substances, sex, or God bless you, maybe even an objectively good thing. All of our hearts are attached to a guiding post. You fill in the blank. What we're saying is each of our hearts has a guiding compass. It does. And so let me start with the bad news. It seems like our compass points to things that harm us a lot of the time. It seems like our hearts desire things that, although they're attractive to our heart and to our eyes, it leads us down a path that actually harms us in the end and harms the people around us. We say, if I get this, fill in the blank, I'll finally be satisfied. Only to find out, trial by error, the things that we want, even when we get them, they don't satisfy the longing and the aching in our hearts. Here's a bit of good news, though. If you were to open up the pages of this book and read all the different stories of real people who lived, you would see even the good ones in this story are people who over and over again charge with their heart after the things they want only to find dissatisfaction. And I think there's something that we can learn from that if we pay attention. So one of these guys who really paid attention to the condition of the human heart was this prophet Jeremiah. And it's just going to be two quick verses. I don't want you to necessarily turn there. But Jeremiah 17.9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond a cure. Who can understand it? That's, wow, that's, that's great news. Thank you. Thank you for the encouragement today. Right? And so have you ever asked yourself, 
why do I want things that hurt me? Isn't that confusing? It's true, though. If you figure that out, I would love for you to tell me so I can fix this about myself. But Jeremiah goes on. He doesn't just leave us there to speak on God's behalf this word. He says, on behalf of the Lord, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. And hold on a second. So you're telling me I have a broken heart and that God's going to hold me accountable for the desires of my broken heart. That seems far from fair. I mean, who would ever follow a God who would put you in a closed loop like that? Yeah, your heart is broken, and I'm going to hold you accountable for that. So if you're newer with us, or if you're struggling with this type of stuff today, I can totally appreciate that would be a reasonable question or thought process that would develop in your mind. But before we dive too far down that rabbit hole, let me share some even better news with you. See, God knows our hearts, and he still wants us. God deeply and intimately knows what's going on inside of your soul. Nothing is hidden from him, and he still wants you. To me, that's profound. I was thinking about this. You know, we live in a really connected world. We have the potential to be known by a lot of people, or at least we have a reel of people that we call like our Facebook friends or Twitter or Instagram followers. And so we feel like we are known by a lot of people, but the honest truth is all we're doing is projecting a picture of ourselves of the things we want people to see. I mean, yesterday I was in a wedding and I was feeling myself. I felt like I was looking pretty good. And I was in like this rustic looking alley and there was just like a random wood block there. And my friend took a picture of me squatting on it like a weirdo, okay? And uh, I've received the social affirmation of people liking that picture. But you don't know me because I post goofy pictures about myself, right? Just because I throw out the best looking picture of me doesn't mean that you know me. And here's the reality. I think if we are honest with ourselves, we really don't want people to truly know us. Because we're afraid about what would happen if someone actually could peek inside of our heart. That they would push us away. That that would be way too much for anyone else to actually know what's going on in here. You know, one of the reasons why the Grinch stayed up on top of his lonely mountain, at least in the 2003 greatest of all time version of the Grinch, there's no debate on this with Jim Carrey, because he was rejected by the Who's down the mountain for the way that he looked. Deep down, we fear that if anyone truly knew us, they'd toss us to the curb. But even better, better news. God is not like every single person that's tossed you to the curb. See, in the Psalms, the King David, who we honor, we think he's a really great dude, but he had some really low points too. He realizes that God knows him in an incredibly personal way, but at the same time, he seems to be comfortable with that. And so this is what David says. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. In verse 4, he says this, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. He continues to say this, for you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And in the midst of God knowing him that well, David leans in and asks God to take a look at his heart and to help him out. And so David finally says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Text 
me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, not out there, in me, in my heart, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, I'm willing to bet that there are people in this room today who are warming up to this idea of following Jesus and trusting God. But you're worried about what will happen if you fully give over your heart to God because you know what's in your heart. You're worried because you know better than anyone else the things you think that you would never breathe out in public, the things you've done and the mistakes you've made, and you are so thoroughly convinced that you are aside from the love of God that it's absolutely impossible for God to look upon you with love. Or maybe you're on the total other end of the spectrum. You're not feeling fuzzy-wuzzies when it relates to God. You're just mad at him. You're mad at God for putting you in a family that broke your heart. You're mad at God for allowing you to love someone who ended up being untrustworthy. You're mad that he took away someone from you that you loved or multiple someones that you loved in a short period of time. You're mad that someone that you love is sick. And let me just say, if that's where you're at, I think that's a totally reasonable place to be. I think that's an honest place to be at in front of God. Here's the good news, though. Whatever is going on in your heart, whether you're ashamed of it, whether you're mad at God, God completely knows your heart, and he still wants you. So if you're broken, if you're mad, or if you're sad, whatever emotion in between that whole range, the one who created you still wants you. And this is the thing that's different about God. God's love is not a scarce resource. Quite the opposite, by his love, grace, and truth, he wants to step alongside you, take a look at your heart together, and show you a better way to be human. And this is even better news. God's feelings about you don't rise or fall depending upon what your emotions are on any given day. His feelings don't rise and fall like your circumstances. And no matter where life finds you this morning, you need to know clearly and unequivocally, God does not view your heart as a lost cause, just a subject of his love. You know, we sing this song all the time here at first, Reckless Love, and we get to the bridge and we start belting out over and over again. There isn't a shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There isn't a wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. And a lot of us, that lifts us to a place where we're full of joy and we're just flabbergasted by how much God would love us. But if we're being honest, there are a lot of us in here who are like, that doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, I love that that does something for you, but that doesn't seem very tangible. Like, how can I know that God has tangibly displayed that type of love for me? So there was this man, Paul, who was writing a letter to a first century church, and he tried to encapsulate God's tangible love in these few lines. It's going to be up on the screen, but it's 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16. Paul wrote, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Catch this, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And this sums it up tangibly. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we look at people from the outside looking in, we value people based off of what we see. Whether or not we realize that's a good thing, all of us start when we're looking at people from this broken place of valuing people based off of the aesthetics and what they've accomplished. And then we have a heart check and we know that's bad or maybe that's just the way you view the world. And this is exactly the way it was in Paul's world as well. So the point he's making is so true then and it's so true now. We don't look at a single person in a worldly way because there isn't a single human being who isn't deeply valuable to God regardless of what their circumstances is. Because if Jesus laid himself on the line, the eternal son of God, the one who knew no sin, laid himself on the line for you, there isn't a single human, a single person that can tell you what your value is but God himself. And God says, you're worth my son. I love you. Don't listen to what anyone else says. You are worth my son. But let me be clear. God's desire for you isn't just to do a little bit of heart maintenance. God doesn't just want to squirt a little WD-40 on your heart and kind of oil it up a little bit nice. What God is after in Jesus is not a refurbished heart. He's about giving you a heart transplant. Jesus gives us a brand new heart. And so i got to ask you, are you tired? Are you tired of following your heart? Are you tired of stepping to the plate, trying your best over and over again, trying to be the best father, the best wife, the best son, the best friend, and keep missing the mark? Let Jesus give you a new heart and then watch what happens. See, a pastor I admire said it this way. A lot of us believe that the cross reconciles us to God, and that's the vertical beam of the cross. But what we fail to realize a lot of the time, that Jesus didn't just die so that we would think nice things about God and be thankful to him, but he died and raised from the dead to reconcile different people to one another as well. The cross, it changes our relationship with God and it gives us a new heart to restore relationships with other people as well. And we have a new power within us through our faith in Jesus and a new ability to restore relationships with others that we thought were impossibly broken. And so if you're ready for a new heart, let Jesus steal your sin and give you a new heart. Are you ready to have the heart your family needs? Let Jesus steal your sin and give you a new heart. Are you ready to love your community? Let Jesus steal your sin and give you a new heart. Are you ready to be the church where you live, work, and play? Let Jesus steal your sin and give you a new heart. We've been trying to drive toward this all day long, but if you remember one thing, I need you to remember this main point. Jesus steals our sin to give us a new heart. See, Jesus is like the good version of a thief. He steals death and gives life. He steals sin and gives us a new heart. The Grinch tried to steal Christmas, but at the end of the, way, at the, end of the day, he recognized that giving his heart away was a way, way better to live than simply keeping everything to himself. In his heart, that was once two sizes too small, grew three sizes 
in one day. And guess what happened? The Grinch, who hated Christmas, hated everything about it, was leading the stinking Christmas parade. He was the biggest Christmas lover of them all. And so let me promise you this. If Jesus gives you a new heart, I promise you, you won't be able to shut up about him. You won't be able to stop talking about the ways in which Jesus has taken this old rotten thing out of your chest and given you something new. You won't be able to shut up even with your actions by the way you love because of what Jesus has done and given you a new heart. You'll find out that love, like it's not a scarce resource for God, it's no longer a scarce resource for you. There isn't a limit to the self-sacrificial love that you can give because the Son of God himself gave everything to love you. So today, what we're going to do together as a church family is we're going to celebrate some new hearts. Because throughout all of God's story, the first thing that people do when they believe that Jesus has given them a new heart is they get baptized. They get baptized. Why? Because baptism, what we're about to do in that pool in the middle of this room right now, is a public declaration that Jesus has our heart and that he's given us a brand new heart. So today, across both of our locations, we had at least 26 people signed up to make this decision so that we could celebrate together as a church family the new life that's being found by declaring Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And those are just the folks that signed up. We had spontaneous baptisms last hour. They may have in Urbana. I haven't heard yet. But this might be your day as well. And so i got to ask you, do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Do you believe that Jesus is the Lord and King of your life, someone that you're willing to trust with everything that you have? Do you believe he's your Savior who's rescued you from your sin and given you a new heart? If you believe all of that stuff, today is the day for you to be baptized and declare that. And so if you haven't made that decision, I want to ask you sincerely, why wait? Why wait? I want to show you a picture. Uh, this is my friend Steve here. Uh, I worked at a church in Springfield, Illinois, before I moved here to Champaign with my wife in 2016. And Steve was a guy at the church I worked at who latched on to me really immediately once I started working at the church. Now, when you look at Steve from the outside looking in, it would have been really easy to place him in a category based off of what you're seeing. And a lot of people did that with him, unfortunately. But Steve, he was essentially our lead worshiper at Lakeside, singing at the top of his lungs, not caring what anyone thought about him, whether it was off-key, whether he was singing the right words or the wrong words, right there on the second row every single Sunday. And as he was hearing about Jesus and what it meant to respond to Jesus and declare Jesus as his Lord and Savior, Steve would come up to us on a regular basis and say, Baptize, baptize, baptize. He, he wanted to be baptized really, really badly. And the sad thing is this. We had gotten some false information that Steve had been baptized like five or six times. <laughs> and so we were trying to walk through pastorally with Steve like, hey, you don't need to be baptized every single Sunday. Okay? This is just like a one-time thing. You don't need to roll around this a number of times. But we had gotten faulty information, and so as we would tell Steve, no, Steve, th this isn't how this is supposed to be done, he would come to us and implore us through tears on a weekly basis, please, please let me be baptized. Please. Over and over again in sincerity. 
And when we came to find out that we were wrong, man, can you consider the faith of a man who is so wrapped up in the love of Jesus that when a couple of think they're smarter than they are pastors are trying to walk alongside him in a pastoral way, that he would keep knocking on the door, that he wouldn't grow disillusioned, and that he would continue to desire to profess his faith in Jesus. And there we were, <laughs> lowering him down into the water and him bounding out of the water, both fists in the air. I did it. I did it. I think a lot of us have reasons that we're not taking this next step. I mean, some of it's pragmatics. It's like, why do I need to get fully under the water? Why do I need to be baptized by immersion? Or, you know, I just don't think I'm there yet. I'm, I'm not ready. I, mean, I believe everything about Jesus, but I'm not ready to publicly declare it. Well, I wonder what it would look like if we had faith like a man like Steve who was willing to keep knocking on the door and that we couldn't be kept out of the water. So, many of us are ready. We're going to respond in just a moment. But maybe today is your day. So let's move to our time of response. So, for everyone in here, uh, I just want to walk through what the next several minutes are going to be like because this is not a normal Sunday for us. If you've come prepared to declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior today or you feel convicted to make that decision in this moment, the first thing that we're going to do before anything else, and this is the most important thing, is that together as an entire church body, we are going to profess our faith in Jesus. And I'm going to throw that up on the screen here in just a second. And so basically what we're going to do in this moment is we're going to affirm that this is the truth that aligns us, that brings us together as a church family, all of us individually and us corporately, that we believe that Jesus is the Christ or the chosen one, the Messiah who's come to save us, the one and only Son of God, and he is our Lord and Savior. And so here in a minute, what we're going to do is we're going to have everyone stand up together. You don't have to do that yet. But if you believe this, whether you've believed it for a long time, whether you've been baptized or not, if you believe this, I want you to profess this out loud with us together as a church family. If you're being baptized today, if you're making that public declaration for the first time, this is your opportunity to celebrate together with our church family that just like we've been given a new heart, you're receiving the new heart that Jesus offers. And after we do that confession of faith, what I'll do is I'll dismiss you You'll be able to go out these doors to the right, up by the cross, and we have an excellent team of volunteers, and our friend Aaron Fenelon is back there too. They have everything that you need. We have towels, we have shirts and shorts to change into, and I tested the water personally. It's not as warm as first hour. I'm sorry about that, but it's way warmer than the water I was baptized in. I can promise you that. Here's my thing. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you believe he is God's son, don't let a silly thing like the water or what you're going to wear or the texture of a towel keep you from publicly declaring and celebrating this reality that Jesus is Lord, that he's Savior, that he's King, and that he's given you a new heart. So with this, uh, you'll go out there 
Our volunteer team will take care of you, we'll get you changed, and we'll bring you right back in here, and we'll celebrate these baptisms together as we worship. And the cool thing is this, if you have come to baptize someone today, like if you know that person is with you, go on ahead and bring them with you throughout the whole entire process when we dismiss you. If you're feeling convicted to make this decision, and you know today is the day, you know you need to not wait, we'd be honored to baptize you. I'd be honored to walk down to that little pool with you and help you take this next step. So, with all that said, let's do it. Let's stand together. I want to profess our faith together as a church family. And we don't get to do a practice round on this, so I need a little bit of gusto here, okay? Like, I want you to say it like you believe it. I'm going to try to lead the way as like the awkward first voice. But this, you have to understand, there are people in this room who are confessing this for the first time. So let's pray this like we believe it, if we believe it's true. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the one and only Son of God. And He is my Lord and Savior. I'm going to give a round of applause for the people who just said that for the first time. So, I know this is a little bit awkward, a little bit different, but if you're preparing to be baptized, whether you're deciding today or if you prepared to do so in advance, we're going to dismiss you right now to give you a little bit of extra time to get ready. So you can feel free to walk out the right front doors by the cross, and our team is more than willing to meet you there, and we'd love to help you take this step. So we're so grateful for you all. For the rest of us, and if you're newer to first as far as that goes, this is our time of response. We always move to respond to who God is revealing himself to be and how he's challenging us to change and to grow. And so there are a few things that we do. As members of FIRST, as partners in the ministry of FIRST, we believe that the local church is the hope of the world. We believe that we're an outpost to God's kingdom. And because of that, we're going to give generously of everything that we have, our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so you'll watch people move to these give and respond boxes. There are two in the back of the room, two by the two front doors. And we're going to take this moment to put our gifts in those given respond boxes. Additionally, there will be people pulling out their phone. I mean, I know some of you are getting on Facebook. It's, you know, getting to that point in the service right now. But for the rest of you, there are going to be people on their phone. And there's this thing called the Give app, spelled G-Y-V-E. And members of our church have downloaded that. And that's a way that we can be generous through a form of technology that's more suitable to uh, 2018. So thank you for your generosity, however we do that. Thank you for the sacrifice that you are stepping up and giving so that we can propel this mission of Jesus forward here at this local church. What else we're going to do is we're going to take some time to pray. A lot of people will pause in their seats and they'll pray, but we have these prayer benches that are at the front of this auditorium, at the front of the stage, because this is a space for us to kneel and surrender and just say, God, what do you want me to do? Or maybe you just need to confess something to God. Or maybe you just need to celebrate with joy how God has rescued you and given you a new heart. Or maybe today you're in the midst of this and you're watching people walk out ready to make this decision and you're still got a little bit of a hang up. Maybe you need to come down here and pray and ask that God would affirm that this is the decision that you're supposed to make today. We'll take this moment in this time of response to pray in just a minute. And the final thing that we do, apart from, I missed this, take those connection cards. If you've got a prayer request or anything, you can fold that up and put those in the give and respond boxes. But the final thing that we're going to get to do 
is we're going to get to put Jesus at the center of this. And when you see these little communion stations, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I want you to go and I want you to take that little piece of bread and that little piece of juice and recognize the reason we're reconciled to God, the reason why our relationships can be restored, the reason why we can be a church is because of Jesus' broken body and his spilled blood. And we're going to celebrate Jesus and we're going to celebrate the folks who are being baptized. One more super important thing. When they go down into that water and come back up, I want you to celebrate like heaven's coming down to earth. Okay? This is a significant moment. And I want what's going on in this room to mirror what's happening at the right hand of God right now. Let's celebrate the fact that our friends are embracing this new heart that Jesus gives. So I'm gonna pray, and then you can feel free to move and respond throughout the rest of our songs today. And let's do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so real, abundantly present. And we know in a moment like this, as someone has just confessed that you're Lord and Savior for the first time, something radical is shifting. God, I pray as a church family that this moment would reaffirm our commitment and faith, but also that we would celebrate with great joy what you're doing in the lives of these folks who are taking this step. We love you and we praise you. You know us so intimately, but you still want us. And so we just want to identify ourselves with you, buried in a watery grave, dead to sin, raised up to resurrection power and alive in Jesus Christ's name. We offer this up to you, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, his strong and precious and glorious name. Amen. Feel free to respond when you're ready.